need to get your football fix on all things Army, Navy, and Air Force? This is Yards and Stripes, Service Academy Football. Now, here are your hosts, Price Atkinson and Bill Rowland. Yes, we are back. Episode two, Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy Football. I am Price Atkinson, and he is the man, Bill Rowland, and we are back with you for episode two uh, coming at you the week of september the 11th this weekend well the week of not the week of september the 11th uh, technically the week of monday september the 6th but obviously 9 11 the commemorative anniversary this saturday you know a special afternoon of football is going to unfold in annapolis with navy and air force the first meeting in the commander-in-chief trophy series that's going to happen this Saturday afternoon. We're going to get into that here in a second with uh, my man, Bill Rowland, my new co-host here. We're going to talk about the games last weekend, Bill. Uh, it was quite an eventful weekend. And all I'm going to say right now is my big takeaway, you know, it was just awesome to see fans back in the stands what resembled more of the normal college football season that we are used to it was amazing to see all these fans packing, especially as we talk in Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium and then Falcon Stadium. Yeah, it was cool to watch all the games everywhere. I mean, not only at those two places, but you had, you know, packed out stadiums for the SEC games. Uh, you know, last Friday, Virginia Tech hosting North Carolina. That scene was unbelievable for Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, it's great. Anytime that the fans can be there, the atmosphere is just better. I don't care what sport it is. And, and we watched games last year in empty stadiums and people, you know, still said, oh, the football was still pretty good. Yeah, the football may have been good, but you just didn't have that extra oomph to it. Um, and so, yeah, as long as they can do this safely, that's the main thing. Um, I think it's great to have these folks and, you know, students and for the academies, the cadets and everything back there. Uh watching their classmates their teammates cheering them on it was it was a great scene for week one yeah it was i mean like you mentioned virginia tech i mean wisconsin jump around um yeah. i mean just a litany of home games where you could just feel the energy the excitement everybody back you know i'm not the biggest fan of neutral site games you know i've said it before you know, I, I think when schools are building these Taj Mahals on campus, use them. You know, I understand the paydays of neutral site. I get it. But, you know, making fans travel, especially if you're one of these top echelon teams where, you know, you're going to have to travel for a championship game for your conference, a playoff game. I mean, it's a lot to travel on these neutral sites. And I just don't think there's that. Yeah. I mean, like Clemson, Georgia, there was a lot of excitement, clearly a top five matchup on Saturday night. But it just is it just you can't replicate what it's like playing at home you know the energy in the building uh, you know on a, on campus on a saturday afternoon saturday night but man it was there was a sure lot of energy on saturday across the landscape coast to coast whether you're talking la for ucla lsu back to the east like i mean virginia tech is just stuck in my head that crowd on friday night and it's north carolina amazing and that's what we all crave that's what we have all missed bill yeah no question and, and they'll be some some of that this coming Saturday as well because not everybody played at home so you've still got fan bases that saw what was going on at all these different places and yep. now they're itching to get there themselves so that they can have their home opener and one of our teams that we'll talk about does get their home opener this week that they do and we're going to talk about it here in just a second but we're first going to go back and look at last week and all three of our teams in action before we do look back just real quick let everybody know download listen subscribe yards and stripes on apple podcast you can get it on spreaker spotify uh, google podcast i mean wherever you listen you can get us bill Rowland and price atkins and i once a week every week through the college football season you know apple podcast obviously is easy if you're an apple user if you are an Android user, look, never fear. You can download Spreaker. You can download Spotify, Google Podcasts. There are ways for you to listen. We are easy to find. Yards and Stripes. Go ahead and search on your favorite podcast app, and you will get it right to your smartphone, device, computer, whatever it is. You'll have it delivered to you. You will not miss a beat as we take you through Army, Navy, and Air Force all season long. All right, Bill, let's get to our recap from last weekend 
let's start. Um, it's not in West Point, but we're going to start with the Black Knights from West Point Army going to the ATL in Atlanta, visiting Georgia State. The Army Black Knights, they dominate, whip Georgia State 43-10, to up 14-0 after the first quarter and built a 27-7 halftime lead thanks to uh, Christian Anderson, QB keeper on the last play of the first half. It was a dominating effort on behalf of the Black Knights, and I, I don't want to say it was surprising, but... You know, this is a Georgia State team that had 11 starters returning on offense. And to only be able to muster 10 points, that says something. And I think that's something that was said was the Army defense coming to play on Saturday. They played their butts off. And Nate Woody's an outstanding football coach, and he had them in position. He called a really good game. Um, he and the staff, you know, they... They just, they really did a good job of preparing our football team, our, our defense, for the team we were going to play today. And uh, and so I, I think that had a lot to do with it as well. Our guys were, were positioned where they needed to be, and, and we made a lot of plays. But you know, the bottom line is the players got to go make the plays, and they did. And, and uh, I thought it was a great effort on their part. That's Coach Jeff Munkin, the head coach of the Black Knights. Congratulations to Coach Munkin. His 50th win as the head coach of the Black Knights. Bill, again, 11 starters returning for a team that averaged 424 yards of total offense last year. Army holds them to 48 yards rushing on Saturday. Yeah, they did a great job on the defensive side of the ball. Andre Carter, three sacks in that game. They gave up zero plays to that offense of over 20 yards. While no. Army themselves, all three of their pass completions went for 20-plus yards. Two of them went for touchdowns. We're talking about Army. Army had two touchdowns through the air. That's how dominant they were on Saturday. I mean, it was just impressive all the way around. If you were going to put a formula together for an Army victory, 42-18 time of possession difference. 13 of 19 combined on third and fourth down conversions, including three of three on fourth down. And as you mentioned already, just 1.7 yards per rush attempt for Georgia State. If you're Army, you're going to win a ton of games if you can do it that way. They also had nine different players carry the ball at least three times as they racked up 260 yards on the ground, and as we already heard from uh, head coach Monken, he said this was just a fantastic team win. I didn't know what our yeah, team well, it was a, a fantastic. It was an outstanding team win, and you know to to be able to hold them down like they did. I mean, Georgia State twenty two total yards in the first quarter. I mean, the tone was set. You know, from the very beginning on Saturday, a noon kickoff there at uh, what was the old, uh, you know, the old Ted where the Braves used to play. Um, you know, but the fact that Georgia State could not get going, um, Army playing three quarterbacks in the game, all th or um, all three quarterbacks completing a pass, as you mentioned. And, you know, folks who know, you know, Army football and know these service academies, typically that you know that they're not going to complete some a lot of passes. Air Force probably, if you're going to look at the three, probably throws the ball more than anybody army and navy they pretty much strictly if they pass it more than five times a game they're probably losing or trying to come from behind but when you throw that ball uh typically a lot of times that yard per completion is fairly high because you're trying to pop one when they least expect it you run 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 them to sleep and then you pop one over the top you know outside um and that's what it was almost 25 yards per completion uh, for the three quarterbacks, three of four throwing, 98 yards, 25, basically 25 yards of completion, two touchdowns. I mean, that's the way to do it. Now, I know some some Army fans might be a, a little bit concerned, um, not obviously from the standpoint uh, of the game and, and the win. You know, they might say, well, you know, we only we only rushed for 258 yards of offense, and, you know, we had six touchdown drives, and but they were only average of 44 yards per scoring drive. I, that's okay. I mean, obviously, the, the the only score, the only tally and stat that matters is that final score. What in the points in that win column or in the in, in their you know in their column? But 
you know, I don't think you could ask for anything more from a game right out of the gate. You know, now Army having won three straight openers in, in five since 2015. This had everything you want. If you're an Army fan, you're leaving that stadium feeling very good about your football team going forward this season. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and Monken talked about it because they asked him about the touchdown pass late in the game. And he said, look, they were basically putting – eight, nine guys up there in the box and just teeing off. He's like, we had to loosen them up somehow, so they went over the top. And I don't blame him for that. Again, you're, you're already up big, which is fine, but you still needed to make sure that you were <coughs> keeping the other team honest and keeping your guys, let's face it, safe. Because if, if they're just going to throw nine, ten guys up there and say, we know you're not going to throw and we're just going to tee off on guys, at that point – it's almost keeping your guys safe saying, okay, well, if you're going to do that, we're going up top, we're going to score again and put this thing to rest. Yeah, 100%. Um, just real quick to, to wrap that up, I mean, you know, again, you just can't ask for anything more. You only had two penalties for 20 yards. You didn't turn the ball over, didn't. I don't even think they put the ball on the ground, at least that I remember, Bill. I mean, he held the, held the ball for over 42 minutes. Outstanding win, everything that you could ask for, uh, and then some for Army. Anything else you got on the Black Knights, Bill? Because I was really impressed. I expected, I thought they would win. I just didn't quite expect a route like it was. And that was a route. 33 points in a route, defeating Georgia State 43-10, to 10, Bill. Yeah, no, I mean, this is why they're our number one team from last week in the power rankings of these three is because we think they're the best team. And, and look, I thought they were going to win, but I said last week it was going to be like a late score, a 27-24. I thought it would be close because of how Georgia State played them a couple years ago. Well, I'm completely wrong. Got it right that they got it correct that they won, but completely wrong on how they did it. Uh, this was more of the name your name your score game than the Air Force Lafayette game was. All right, let's pivot out to Colorado Springs and the Air Force Falcons hosting the Lafayette Leopards out of the Patriot League FCS opponent. And the black, I mean, excuse me, the Falcons, 35 to 14 over Lafayette Air Force, winning their 15th straight season opener. They have not lost to an FCS opponent in 25 straight games. Isaac Daniels, the starting quarterback for the Falcons, rushing for three touchdowns, had 19 carries, 72 yards, and a dominating effort, you know, pretty much like we expected, Bill Rowland, out of the gate, uh, playing a lot of guys. I believe 11 guys started their first game uh, for Air Force in the football game. Um, again, this is what you wanted to see. Play a lot of guys. Keep a lot of guys healthy. Don't get anybody hurt. Don't show too much as you get ready for Navy. Uh, put the win on the board, and let's get back to work before you have to travel across, across the country to Annapolis, Bill. Yeah, and you talked about it. they had a dominating performance, especially on the ground, 370 yards. Both Brad Roberts, Micah Davis went over 100. As you mentioned, Daniels in the end zone three times in this route. The defense also played really really well and I know people are going to look at it and say well it's a you know it's an FCS team it's Lafayette but still only 43 yards on the ground in 24 attempts and even when they were able to find success through the air and Lafayette threw for two almost 250 they still though were the Air Force was able to get three sacks in that game they also got a pick as well so they did a nice job and just like Army the recipe doesn't change third and fourth down conversions 11 of 17 combined, 3 for 3 on fourth down. The only thing I was surprised at in this price was that they only had the time of possession of a 35-25 advantage. I figured with 370 yards, as I'm, like, tuning in on this game, I'm like, geez, they must have kept the ball for 40-some minutes like Army did. And then I went back and looked finally at the end, and I was like, you know what? That's not as much as I thought it was. So that that Air Force quick strike offense must have been in vogue on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, something you mentioned, we talked about it with Army. We're talking about with Air Force and their win over Lafayette. You're hitting on something that I've long preached, you know, that when you are a, a team like these three that keep the ball on the ground, that really value all four downs, you know, you see them go for fourth down so often, you know, that third and fourth down, in my mind has always been kind of one statistic it's not really all right what'd you do on third down what'd you do on fourth down i've always kind of combined those things to basically 
you know, put them together because to me that tells the story, you know, three for three on fourth down for Air Force. You know, they win the game by, you know, three touchdowns and you're, you know, you're going for it three times on fourth down. Usually right. you're going for it when you're losing. But when you have fourth and one, fourth and two, it's almost like another third and short in a lot of ways. And so, you know, combining those third and fourth down numbers, you know, you're spot on right there, 11 for 17. And that's going to keep the chains moving. And that acts as that other kind of an other defense when you keep the ball away you know from an offense you know that can they can strike quickly I'm not saying Lafayette could they did move the ball you know 286 yards most all of it through the air um, you know but a fantastic win you know offensively Brad Roberts we know coming in you know he had only played um, he had only played I believe it was in five career games but now he's gone over um, 100 yards in three of the five games he's played in in his career had a team high 25 carries and 111 yards um, one of 12 to carry the ball for Air Force again you know they're going to play a lot of guys an FCS opponent uh, mission accomplished for Troy Calhoun and his team Bill absolutely awesome you know how heartwarming it is to have the families there especially you know for them to be around the cadets and you just think especially you know, the freshmen they left home probably about June 24th and they've been here ever since and for them to get a little bit of a weekend a little bit of a break it's fantastic for the cadets. But but the spirit, you know, I think, you know, we all realize we never ever take anything for granted in life. And certainly that means being able to come to Falcon Stadium. And that was, if anything, I hope that's one thing that we are able to just that, that gratitude that we have being able to play. Bill, I don't know how many times you've heard Troy Calhoun in your lifetime, but when Troy speaks, usually it's kind of the same voice inflection. You don't hear a ton of juice. <laughs> I probably heard more excitement, almost as much excitement from Troy, Coach Calhoun, in that clip right there, talking about having the cadets back, the energy in the stadium, as much as maybe any time I've heard him talking, post-game, pre-game, week of a game, you know, postseason, you could tell that there was just excitement back and that he fed off of it. He should be excited, and he said later on that they have one guy who has started even one game on their offensive line in their career coming into the season. And he talked about he just didn't know how many times that it happened, not only at Air Force, but just in college football at the major college football level anyway. And that offensive line helped them go five for five in the red zone in week one. That's something they have to, Army, Navy, Air Force, all of them. If you get in the red zone, you've got to cash in because of your limitations on offense. You get inside the 20 by running it all the way down the field. Maybe you started at your own 15, your own 22, whatever it was. You get inside the opponent's 20, you better cash in because if you don't, just a missed opportunity. And the, and the other team feels like they got off the hook. They got away with it because you're not kicking field goals that often. As you mentioned, they're always going for it on fourth down. So you have to cash in five for five on Saturday. Might a new weapon have been discovered for Air Force. Sophomore wide receiver Micah Davis from uh, the greater Atlanta area. He's a wide receiver, Bill. He carried it four times, but two of the four carries were for touchdowns. Yeah, he went for, gains. what, 101 yards? But he, I mean, he caught two of the three passes the Air Force completed, um, you know, two catches for 27 yards. I mean, becoming a threat out of the backfield. We know a lot of these slot backs that can line up and, like, split in. Those are the kind of weapons that you need that you look for as a service academy because, you know, typically most of the time it's that B-back, it's the fullback and the quarterback that try and dominate, you know, holding the ball between the tackles, but finding those kind of weapons that you can get outside with speed. Mike Troy Calhoun and his team have found that with Micah Davis, now a sophomore, doing it not just rushing but catching the football too, Bill. I think that might be something to watch here moving forward. Yeah, if they can find any more weapons, if they can get any guys, again, if you're running jet sweeps with Micah Davis and he can get out to the outside, whatever it is, um, where they can get the, the, the ball uh, in his hands, he's so quick, he's so shifty, it's just another element where you've been pounding, pounding, pounding up front with a guy like Brad Roberts, and then all of a sudden you figure out a way. It's a fake to Roberts up the middle, and maybe it's Davis coming on an end around or whatever it is. That's a lot to deal with if you're, again, as we've talked about before, if you're a team who doesn't see the option very often and you don't see all the motion and the trickery and everything else, 
I mean, you'll, you'll fool camera guys. They won't know who have the football, let alone a linebacker who's kind of in the middle of things and has to make a split, this, you know, split second decision, and you make the wrong one, the guy's getting another 12, 15 yards. That's right. So, Air Force, a 35-14 to 14 winner over Lafayette, 1-0 on the season now, getting ready for that big game in Annapolis, the first leg of the Commander-in-Chief Trophy. We'll talk about it and preview that one here coming up in just a little while here on Yards and Stripes. All right, Bill. Pivoting to our final game, our final season opener from Saturday afternoon, the Marshall Thundering Herd and the Jack Langle Special, former Navy AD, hosting the Thundering Herd from Marshall, and the Herd gets a 49-7. to I, I guess I'll call it the Waffle House treatment that Marshall gave Navy. Scattered, smothered, covered, chunked, topped, and diced. Everything that they could have done, Bill, I feel like they did it to the midshipmen. 49-7. to in Annapolis Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. It seemed like almost everything that could go for wrong for Navy went wrong. Yeah, but the, the weird thing is, Price, look at these raw numbers. Take away the score. If you covered the score up, if you didn't know, you would never think this was a 42-point blowout. Navy <laughs> ran for 337 yards. They had 92 plays to just 63 for Marshall. They won the turnover battle. They were plus one turnovers. They controlled the clock 41 to 19. And they lost by 42 points. Eight of 21 on third down. That's how they lost the game. They could not keep drives going. It didn't matter yeah. keeping Marshall off the field. They couldn't stay on the field, even though they had it for 41 minutes. It was all between like the 30s. They just dominated the middle of the field and couldn't do anything beyond that. The, the story of the game, Bill, I don't think there's any, like you just said, you broke it all down. You look at a stat sheet, you don't even see the final score, but you look at that statistics, you know, after the game, you're like, this is, if Navy didn't win this thing, this is probably a, you know, final possession kind of game. I mean, the story was the red zone, and Coach Niamatololo talked about it afterwards, but Navy, one of five in the red zone. Marshall, six for six. I believe all six were touched. Yeah, well, all six were touchdowns for the Thundering Herd, while Navy just one of five in the red zone. Here's Coach Ken Niamatololo afterwards. One for five in the red zone. And against a team like that, you got to score, because we've played potent offenses like that before, but you score. So you put some pressure on them. You put some pressure on the play caller. You put some pressure on the quarterback. But when you don't score, then, the, the you know, you're a little bit more free on offense. You know what I mean? You're not pressing as much. And so you're, you know, you're moving the ball. We just, we didn't execute in the red zone. That's the hardest part. I mean, the digestive part of it is you got to score. You know what I mean? And we've normally been pretty good in the red zone. That's, you know, one thing that we're good at, you're trying to digest that 92 plays. I mean, we had close to 400 yards rushing, you know, take out the sacks, and but it doesn't matter. You know I mean? You got to score when you get in the red zone. So those are the things we got to be able to execute. You can't make mistakes, especially, again, against a team like that that's really good on offense. They're the number one rushing defense in the country last year, so they're a good defense. But yeah, just disappointed we didn't finish, but that that's... That's the the lesson from last last week. You gotta you gotta finish. Xavier Arline, the backup Navy quarterback, coming on in relief for Ty Lavatai, um, getting the only score of the game for Navy, a one-yard touchdown run, uh, coming in the fourth quarter. Bill, uh, it's I mean Navy still was not out of it. They still needed some things to happen, uh, but turning the ball over twice, you know, Marshall helped keep Navy in the game. I mean, three turnovers themselves. Um, Navy was able to move the ball at, at times. I mean, it hurt freshman Rasheen Ali four touchdowns in the game three in the first half I mean Marshall was up 21 nothing I feel like before you could even blink but after then you know things kind of settled in a little bit um one play kind of that just stands out in my mind um there were several but for Navy you know senior fullback I think James Harris the second he broke away I think it may have been help me out if you remember it but it was in the I think it was in the second half and have been third quarter or early fourth he broke away um that fullback big guy you know gets up the middle and you look like he's going to take it to the house and next thing you know, I don't think he's running out of steam. I just don't think he's got the kind of wheels that maybe, you know, Carruthers and some of the other, you know, fullbacks, B-backs they've had in Annapolis. Couldn't take it to the house, was tracked down from behind. Navy can't score on the drive. They end up giving the ball away. 
um, you know, they've had that big play ability before. It wasn't there. That Marshall defense, you know, it bend but don't break. Um, Navy piled up almost 400 yards of total offense, but they did just what they needed. That play on, on offense where Harris broke away, it just stands out in my mind is a lot of times in the past, those were touchdowns where you finally get in the clear. Look, you're headed for the end zone touchdown Navy. Yeah, and, and you heard Coach Ken talk about a one of five in the red zone, so it doesn't even matter if they don't get the 60-, 65-yard touchdown run. When you get down there inside the 30, inside the 25, it, uh, immediately it's four-down territory for Navy. They're not kicking field goals unless it's you know something to break a tie or something. They're going for it on fourth down nearly every single time. Well, you can't win if you're not converting, and they didn't convert one of five in the red zone. Marshall, as we talked about, six of six, and they were five of eight. They only had eight third downs the entire game. Again, they didn't have the ball that often, and they didn't need to get to third down because they were getting big chunks nearly every single time they snapped the football. But this is a, a thing that's gone back to last year. It's the same problem that they've had. It's now 20 points in their last four games combined going back to last season seven six zero seven that's it there's a problem with the navy offense whether it's the quarterback whether it's the offensive line whether it's the running backs the fullbacks there's a problem and they better get it figured out because we said it last week with the preview really look at the schedule Where's the win going to come from? Where's the two wins going to come from? If they perform this poorly on offense, they're going to get trashed in a lot of games. And I hate to say that because I'm rooting for them, but they're not good right now. Yeah, it's I think it just is all a matter of a quarterback and, you know, no knock on, you know, Lavatai or Xavier Arline. Those guys are both they're both youngsters. They're both sophomores. And, you know, Lavatai getting the start first ever career game, uh, the sophomore out of St. John's, Florida, six two. Um, you know, he left with an injury, you know. Things move pretty well when he was in there. Our line, you know, he's you know more of a runner, doesn't throw it as well. They just, it just doesn't seem like it's that settled. And and you got to get settled at least at the quarterback position. And if you're not, you, you really want to be settled, especially up front, and you know have a ball carrier or somebody that you can kind of lean on a little bit, you know, to get that stability. But you know, without without having it under center, Bill. I'm with you, man. I, where are the wins going to come from? Um, I went and looked at it. Now I know it's only after week one, I, two, if you count, you know, some teams, rare teams that have played twice. But you know, Navy's opponents right now, going into week two this weekend, they're eight and four overall. Right. That's the all the opponents on Navy's schedule. I was looking it up. I, I believe Scott Strassmeyer had had a note in the Navy football notes this week where it had. By winning percentage from last year, Navy with the third toughest uh, schedule in the country, uh, the numbers, uh, at least after week one, it's only a very small sample size. I understand it, but eight and four, and you look at the teams and uh, some of the names and the pedigree and what's been done the last couple of years, the Cincinnati's, you know, some of these others. Look, it's going to be hard, man, I, especially losing that first one. I mean, Coach Niamatololo has got uh, he's got some work on his hands, and he said after the game, quote, we got our butts whipped in all facets, coaching offensively, defensively, and special teams, no excuses, end quote. I thought there was more effort there too, Bill, on, on Saturday versus last year in that opener versus BYU. I, I th- it was clearly different. They weren't hitting last year in preseason practice. There were just so many unknowns. I felt like there was some effort there. It's just the execution wasn't there on Saturday. Well, the execution on on, on late downs, third and fourth down. That's, yeah. that's where it broke down. Because, again, you don't run for 330 yards if you're not doing some good things on the <laughs> ground. And as you mentioned, Harris, I mean, he ended up averaging almost seven yards a pop, I, I think, in the game. So, I mean, he did a nice job. They had some nice things. Even defensively, I thought the kid, Michael Morris, all five, nine of them. He's a little guy. Of course, that's <laughs> Navy. You're not going to get the big six, three corner monsters, but he had their only sack. He, you know, forced a couple of fumbles. He did a good job. Six total tackles. There were some nice things that were done by individual players. They just couldn't stack it all together and sustain it for more than what well, they had the one touchdown drive. They had one touchdown the entire game. Other than that, again, as I said, they dominated. Between the 30s on offense, they could do whatever they wanted to. Once they got down into into plus territory, just fell apart. 
Yeah, Navy having to throw the football 16 times, that is not ideal. That is not what they want to do. So you know that you're, you're, you know, obviously run, run, and then you get to third. You're probably facing a lot of third and longs, and obviously you get behind. You got to throw it a little bit more to try and catch up. Not the recipe that you want for Navy. But midshipmen fall to Marshall 49-7 to as they get ready now for Air Force in the first leg of the Commander-in-Chief Trophy this weekend. We'll talk about it here in a few minutes. But first, we got to give out some game balls, Bill. Yeah, I'll go ahead and start. My game ball is going to go to the Air Force, and I'm going to give it to their quarterback, Hazim Daniels. Got into the end zone three times on Saturday. And not only that, he wasn't their leading rusher. In fact, I think he finished third in total yards. But he orchestrated that offense to perfection at times, handing the ball off, getting guys where they're supposed to be, making the right reads, knowing who to hand it to or keep it himself. To me, Daniels was outstanding. Again, three touchdowns in the win, 35 over uh, 14 over Lafayette. He gets my game ball this week. My game ball, Andre Carter from the Army defense. We talked about it right at the outset. Um, You mentioned him, Bill, the linebacker, the junior linebacker. He had three tackles, and those three tackles, they were big ones. They were all sacks. So Andre Carter leading the way for the Army defense at – that held Georgia State in check. Again, 11 starters returning, and they held them to under 50 yards of rushing. The Army defense was the story in that game. Nate Woody and his unit doing a fantastic job forcing two turnovers as Army gets that win over Georgia State. All right, Bill, we got to look ahead to what's ahead this weekend. We've got our Travis Mannion Foundation uh, Faces of the Fallen Honor Roll that we'll do coming up, uh, but we're going to step away real fast. Don't go anywhere. We're going to le- look ahead to our two games that we got this weekend, including that big one in Annapolis between Air Force and Navy. In 2007, Marine First Lieutenant Travis Mannion was killed in Iraq after saving his wounded teammates. Travis's legacy lives on through the words he spoke before his final deployment, if not me, then who? Words that today fuel the spirit of Travis Mannion Foundation. And through TMF, these words can live in you too. Show the world what you're made of, because character is invisible until it's not. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside empowered veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians at travismanion.org. Your home for all things Service Academy football. It's Yards and Stripes with Price Atkinson and Bill Rowland. Now, back to this week's episode. Price Atkinson, Bill Rowland, continuing here on Yards and Stripes. Episode two of this season is we get ready for this weekend. And a big game in Annapolis, but we're going to start at West Point uh, where the Black Knights are going to head home to Mikey Stadium. First game on the Hudson, and they're going to be hosting the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. A little bit of an early kick, Bill, 11.30 a.m. on CBS Sports Network. Jason Horowitz and Ross Tucker will have that call from Mikey Stadium, one of the most gorgeous, picturesque uh, home settings in all of college football. If you haven't been to Mikey, folks, you got to go. Opening up on Saturday against the Hilltoppers, who are 1-0, coming off a win over Tennessee Martin, 59-21 to last week. Bill Army, I believe, the last time I saw it was favored by a touchdown. Help me out if that line has changed. But, um, you know, an Army team, you know they're going to be excited. The cadets are going to be roaring. Uh, fall probably not quite setting in just yet on the Hudson. You might have a twinge of it in the air. But should be a fantastic setting for football on Saturday up at Army. Yeah, it should be a great day. Uh, storms rolled through. They're going to get out. You shouldn't have any rain or anything coming up on Saturday. should be a gorgeous day. Uh, for them to play, even with their early kickoff. I'm sure they're going to be fired up for the home opener. And, yeah, as you mentioned, Western Kentucky comes in 1-0. They beat UT Martin. How impressive is that? I don't know. But their quarterback, Bailey Zappi, was impressive. 424 yards through the air, seven touchdowns for him. And for those of you who may be big-time college football fans go, 
Zappy, why do I know that name? Well, this is the kid that threw for nearly 600 yards against Texas Tech last year when he was at Houston Baptist before transferring to Western Kentucky. So this guy can sling it around. He also had a couple receivers, I think, that came with him to Western Kentucky from Houston Baptist. So they've kind of got their old offense there going. So they can throw it around. That's what they're going to try to do when they have the ball against Army. The problem for them is going to be, can they even keep the ball away from Army? Army's going to probably try to get 40 to 42 minutes of time of possession again. And here's the thing. Western Kentucky gave up 201 yards on the ground and a blowout to UT Martin. What do you think they're going to give up to Army come Saturday if they gave up 200 yards to UT Martin? That's exactly what I thought, Bill, in looking at Western Kentucky. I know, like you said, one game, Tennessee Martin, we don't really know. I mean, 59 to 21, sure. I mean, that's a team you should beat about like that. But, you know, the fact they gave up just over 200 yards on the ground, Bill, not exactly the kind of sign you want to going into one of the top if not the top rushing team in the country uh, in the Black Knights and that triple option. So uh, that's something to really pay attention to on Saturday is Western Kentucky obviously stopping the run, getting off the field. But, you know, you want to score, but yet sometimes you don't want to score too quick because you put your defense right back out there. So, you know, you want to be able to manage the clock a little bit and not let Army have the ball for over 40, 45 minutes a game. That's not going to help you. Uh, but again, Western Kentucky, Bill, and Army, one, uh, excuse me, 11.30 a.m., both teams 1-0, CBS Sports Network on Saturday should be. Obviously, the 9-11 20th anniversary, you know there's going to be a lot of pomp and pageantry and a lot of touching, um, you know, pregame, uh, halftime and postgame things that are going to go on there at West Point. All right, Bill, moving to Annapolis. A little bit odd, I know, folks, having a commander-in-chief trophy this early in the season. Uh, it was moved um, to this weekend, September 11th, obviously Saturday, the 20th anniversary. Um, that was done purposely uh, to have these two teams match up, um, you know, to commemorate the 9-11 anniversary. Air Force 1-0, Navy 0-1, 3-30 kickoff, not on CBS Sports Network. This is going to be on the big boy network, Bill, on CBS. Brad Nessler, Gary Danielson on the call. Uh, last I checked, Air Force favored by five and a half. I, you would think it might be more than that, but um, correct me if I'm wrong on that, Bill. But look, when these teams get together, it doesn't matter. A service academy game. I was at one of the last ones, and not last year when Navy was whipped, what, 49 to, or 40 to 7. I was there in Colorado Springs uh, when Malcolm Perry was playing, and Air Force did about the same thing. I believe it was 49 to 7. Was that 2018, 2019? Um, Air Force has had Navy's number a little bit in the last couple of years. Doesn't matter, though. I mean, when they match up, you know it's going to be a dogfight. Oh, no question. And and that's why we've seen the past, whether it's Army-Navy, Army-Air Force, whatever it may be, one team maybe having a great year, the other one's not so good. And then the team that's supposed to win, favored by 7-10, whatever it is, ends up getting beat because there's so much pride on the line for all these guys that they just they dig down, they find a little bit more to be able to play in this one. And the styles are so similar that they're used to seeing this type of thing. The fact that Air Force is going to come on, come in and run their type of offense, well, Navy runs that all the time, or a, a variation of it. They see it all the time. So there's no surprises. There's nothing new to them. It's not like they're going to say, huh, well, that's not something we, you know, we're used to in the three days that we had in the film session leading up to the game. I mean, they're going to see it. Now, I still think as – Air Force got their win over Lafayette. They were workmanlike is probably the best way to put it. They won 35-14. It wasn't as dominating as it could have been, although 370 yards on the ground, pretty good. I imagine this is going to be one of those situations where Air Force jumps on Navy early. Navy finds its footing a little bit, tries to get back into it, but ultimately I think late third quarter, fourth quarter, Air Force, just because they seem to be – already more established, even with that uh, inexperience on the offensive line. They seem to have already gelled here early in this season. Again, you don't run for 370 on anybody if you're not having at least some good communication up front. So I like Air Force to win this one. I think they're going to get away from Navy late in the second half. But it should be an entertaining game because, again, if you like this style of football, if you like the fact that they're going to pound and ground and not throw it 35, 40 times each side, this is the game for you. 
Yes, it most certainly is, and it will be the 54th meeting um, between the two teams. Navy 12-8 and all-time versus Air Force at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. I mentioned, you know, Air Force uh, winning two of the last three, 35-7 in Colorado Springs in 2018. Navy, a 34-25 winner the last time in Annapolis. And then Air Force last year, 40-7. So Air Force winning big at home the last two years. Navy getting the last, two, excuse me, the last three uh, in Annapolis. Uh, that 34-25 game in 2019, a really good game, but one of the best games I think I've ever been at was the Navy 48 to 45 comeback uh, in 2017 where they had to start throwing the ball got the ball back with under a minute to go touchdown pass back of the end zone bill and that was a game where Navy had to come back and mention the last minute of the game 2017 they were winning comfortably at halftime but that's the kind of thing I'm looking at it this Saturday Air Force in that game 2017 there was no quit I mean they were down I believe it was at least 10 maybe two touchdowns at halftime they did not lay down in the third quarter they rose up and that's what I'm kind of looking for to see you know Navy's been down a little bit now um, you know they got beat down 49 to 7 by Marshall at home I know they're going to be, you know, put their game faces on on Saturday. But if they get down, as you mentioned, thinking the Air Force is going to jump on them early, what kind of fight is going to be there in this midshipman team? Are they going to try and get off the deck? Are we going to see that kind of fight? Or are we going to see a team that, you know, obviously could roll over and give Navy fans a lot to be concerned about moving forward. That is my big question mark. If it plays out like you think it does, and I am pretty much in agreement with you. I think Air Force is going to come out and they're going to move the football and jump on them early. What kind of fight is in the Navy tank on Saturday? Well, I don't think there's going to be a question of, of whether they fight or not. They, they've shown in the past, even if things aren't going their way, that, again, you don't rack up the amount of yards that they did against Marshall by just quitting and saying, well, what we're doing isn't going to work. We're getting blown out. You would, it would have been even worse had they, had they not fought back. The problem for Navy right now is, again, as we talked about, the reason that Daniels got the game ball for me is because he orchestrated the Air Force offense to perfection. I don't know that Navy has that guy, no matter who it is. And until I see it, I can't be confident in them converting a key third down, a key fourth down in, in a big spot where I have confidence in Air Force right now, whether it's getting the ball to Micah Davis, whether it's Brad Roberts, whether it's uh, Daniels under center, they've got guys that they can trust and get the ball to. If they need a big set on a third and three or a fourth and one, I feel like they can get it. I don't know that Navy can right now. Be interesting to see what Navy does at quarterback. Lavatai, questionable, uh, hurt on Saturday. Um, believe it was a lower leg injury. Might it be, will he be back? Will it be Xavier Arline, a, a guy that came in in relief on Saturday? Started, you know, late last season for the mids. Troy Calhoun talked about Arline this week. He recruited Xavier Arline to Colorado Springs. I mean, he was recruited by all three academies. What does Navy do at quarterback? What wrinkles might we see? Because you mentioned earlier, these are teams that know each other so stinking well. I mean, coaches have, you know, been stalwarts at their respective institutions. You know, Troy Calhoun, what, his 16th season at Air Force, played at Air Force Navy. I mean, uh, Coach Niamatololo now uh, been at Navy for a while. What are the wrinkles that we see? You know, you typically will see something that's different that, you know, each team is saving, one wants to break out, trying to catch the other team off guard. What might we see on Saturday? We never really know. One thing we do know is that there will be a lot of pageantry on Saturday uh, is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. 14 Navy grads losing their life on 9-11. Uh, two Air Force uh, graduates. Navy uh, will retire in AAA, will retire Chet Moeller's number 48 jersey at halftime. Bill, he be the first Navy defensive player to have his jersey retired at the Naval Academy. We know a lot of the... Uh, the offensive standouts of years past, the Malcolm Perry's, the obviously the Roger Staubachs and Joe Bellino, but Chet Moeller gonna have his jersey, number 48 jersey, retired at halftime. It should be quite a spectacle in Annapolis on Saturday, Bill. Yeah, I hope they show on CBS, not necessarily the, the, the you know, retirement of the jersey ceremony thing, but I hope they do a good job. And, and knowing CBS, they will. 
um, yeah. of showing everything that's going on around this game other than what's on the field, the stuff pregame, the stuff halftime. I hope they take a moment, uh, at least in the broadcast, and find time to to kind of highlight these things because, to me, forget the game, whatever the score may be. And, again, I think Air Force is going to win this thing by double digits. But um, it's going to be just special to watch these two teams play, the, the fans in the stands, uh, all the pageantry, as you mentioned, that's going to go around uh, for this game. I hope CBS shows us some of that. For those of us that can't be in Annapolis, I hope we get to see a lot of what goes on. Yeah, CBS does a great job with that, whether it's the Army-Navy game, Army-Air Force. Uh, whenever it's a CIC matchup, they just do a great job with the march-ons, the flyovers, capturing that for fans, you know, that can't be there, that are watching it at home. And, you know, there'll be so many, you know, active-duty military, you know, around the world listening, watching on the Armed Forces Network, wherever they might be stationed in places around the globe that we can only dream of, you know, our, our men and women uh, serving and protecting us. So can't wait for Saturday. All right, when we come back, Bill, our Travis Mannion Foundation honor roll segment, going to honor uh, and remember what we do every single week in our wrapping up Yards and Stripes, a fallen hero who has given the ultimate sacrifice for our country. We'll do that here coming up next right here on Yards and Stripes. In 2007, Marine First Lieutenant Travis Mannion was killed in Iraq after saving his wounded teammates. Travis's legacy lives on through the five words he spoke before leaving for his final deployment. If not me, then who? Words that today fuel the spirit of Travis Mannion Foundation. Words that live in veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians who go out of their way to find a way, who help others with the help of others, who bounce back after each setback, who make good on good intentions. Through Travis Manion Foundation, if not me, then who are words that can live in you too. Show the world what your character is made of because character is invisible until it's not. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside empowered veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians at travismanion.org. That's travismanion.org. We now return to the only show you need for everything Service Academy football. It's Yards and Stripes with Price Atkinson and Bill Rowland. Again, and time for our Faces of the Fallen segment here on Yards and Stripes, where we honor and remember a fallen hero, a member of our armed forces who has given the ultimate sacrifice for our nation and for our freedoms. And this week, uh, we honor and remember Navy Lieutenant and Navy SEAL Brendan J. Looney, who's a member of the Navy lacrosse team, who gave his life on September the 21st, 2010, in support of Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan when he was one of nine U.S. troops that were killed in a Black Hawk helicopter crash. And wanted to take the time and take a step back and honor Brendan Looney, again, a Navy SEAL and 2004 Navy graduate who was a member of the lacrosse team as a guy who actually came to Navy uh, as a standout wide receiver from DeMatha High School, as I mentioned, but played for Navy very briefly, but then decided he would take up lacrosse and played in his first organized lacrosse game right before turning 21 uh, during uh, his sophomore year at the Naval Academy and was, a, like I said, a three-year letter winner for the midshipmen, uh, a standout defenseman by the time he graduated in 2004, a guy who I don't know if you could go out with a career any better than how Brendan Looney finished his Navy lacrosse career as his last and final game in a midshipman uniform before graduating was in the 2004 National Championship game in Baltimore between over 40,000 people just outside his hometown of, of Owings, Maryland. And Brendan survived by his wife, Amy. His parents, Kevin and Maureen, had two brothers also uh, that, that were both uh, standout Navy lacrosse players who played at Navy for Coach Richie Mead, Steve, and Billy. And I want to play something that Coach Richie Mead said just uh, a couple of years ago uh, when talking about his uh, one of his standouts in Brendan Looney, 
uh, and the life that he led and some of the qualities that he had as a man, as a midshipman, as a Navy officer, friend, and teammate. This guy was a guy that kids should know about and look up to. He's not the only guy. You know, there's other guys in the sport of lacrosse. But but this guy, <clears throat> Brendan, was uh, very, very special from the standpoint of he embodied everything that a great leader, the qualities a great leader has, but also he embodied the things a great follower has to have. You know, he had determination. He, he uh... I'm not going to say he was fearless, but he was unafraid to try. He was unafraid to fail. And, and I believe that kids should understand that. And that's former Navy head coach Richie Mee talking about just what a special midshipman, officer, person, and some of the qualities Brendan Looney exuded on, off the field. Once again, Brendan J. Looney former Navy Lieutenant SEAL who gave his life on September the 21st, 2010. And we'll remember a fallen hero every single week here on Yards and Stripes and our Faces of the Fallen segment that we'll wrap up each and every episode with. And Bill Rowland will be back with me here in just one second. Don't go anywhere. Travis Mannion Foundation's 9-11 Heroes Run 5K Race Series unites communities across the country and around the world to honor the sacrifices of September 11th and the war since. Join your community this September and register to run, walk, or rock by visiting 911heroesrun.org. Wrapping up episode two of Yards and Stripes, Bill Rowland and Price Atkinson. Appreciate everybody downloading, listening, subscribing every single week. You can do it on Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast app of choice is. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us talking Army, Navy, and Air Force. College football, your home all season long for the service academies. Bill, we, we've kind of gone through the gamut of stuff here, but, you know, 9-11 this Saturday, um, I don't want to call it a special day. It's it's obviously a day, it's not special, but it's one that we have, you know, made special to remember so many folks who uh, were affected, you know, directly, indirectly. Um, everybody was affected indirectly, you know, our nation, because really everything changed, you know, for us as a country that day, um, you know, on September 11th when, you know, obviously we know what happened in, in New York City with the you know the twin towers and in dc with the pentagon and then shanksville pennsylvania um tragic day uh to say the least you know i mentioned brendan looney uh in the travis Manion foundation honor roll uh just a few minutes ago but you know your memories of 9 11 i'm kind of curious you know what you know your day was like because it's a day that we're never going to forget we all remember where we were what we were doing on that fateful day yeah, I was uh, obviously 30 years old. It was 20 years ago. Um, and I, I still remember, and everybody talks about this, and it was just a spectacular fall day. I mean, crystal clear blue skies. It was a beautiful day. And I and that's what I remember driving home that day. Um, I was working for a company, Westwood One, for those that are familiar. Mm-hmm. I was the regional, Southeast Regional Manager uh, for affiliations. And we had obviously, um, people that we knew in New York, we had, you know, offices all over the place. So when the first plane happened, we heard about it in our office. And my first thought in talking to other folks was, oh my gosh, I wonder if that was one of our like traffic helicopters. Cause we, you know, that was the big company. We had the traffic there in New York and everything else. And I remember walking in, you know, didn't think much of it at the time. And I remember walking into our little kitchen break area, whatever, and four or five of the women that were working there in the office, whether they were in news or whatever, were glued to the TV. And I just said, hey, do they know, you know, this is before Twitter, this is before any of this stuff. You had no idea. And I just remember I walked in and said, hey, do you guys know, was that one of our traffic helicopters, traffic planes? And the one woman said, no way it was a helicopter. It, that that fire is way bigger than what a helicopter would do. And then the second, I just happened, 30 seconds later, I wouldn't have seen it. Happened to be there and saw the second one. And that's when our old grizzly news veteran that was there looked up at everybody and he said, that wasn't an accident. And, yeah. and literally, honestly, we all went back to our desk at that point. 
because you were expecting calls to come in from everybody, you know, around the country going, hey, what should I do with this type of stuff? Even though I was in the sports department, I was trying to get people to carry NFL games. I didn't have anything to do with the news, but all of a sudden, everything got routed. It was like instantly in a couple hours, everything was starting to be routed. So if you wanted breaking news, you had to sign up. I mean, it was crazy. And I remember by 2 o'clock that afternoon, because um, then, you, of course, you had the Pentagon. You had the, everything fell by noon. By 2 o'clock, my boss came in and said, guys, look, you're going to get nothing done today. Nobody cares about carrying college football, the NFL. Go home. It was a Tuesday afternoon. I remember this. He said, go home. I will let you know when you're to come back in. And I was also doing some stuff for the morning shows on air downtown. And I remember I I went into work the next day, the next morning. I had to drive in like 4 a.m., this is the thing more than 9-11. This is what always has impacted me. You talked about everything changing. When I drove down to the CBS, West One CBS were parent or sister companies. When I drove to the CBS studios that next morning, again at 4, 4.30 in the morning, I always loved that drive because I would go by the Washington Monument and other places, and the mm-hmm. city was so quiet, and it was just beautiful to drive through on a clear morning. <clears throat> well, the next morning, there were armored vehicles everywhere throughout dc and i remember thinking oh my gosh i'm at a stoplight and there's an armored vehicle to my left there's one to my right there are soldiers i was like this is never going to be the same we are never going back and i i mean i don't know why i thought that but i was like this will never ever be the same this has fundamentally changed everything that i know about and what i'm experiencing in my country that to me is what sticks with me more than 9-11 of course I've watched yeah. the towers. Of course, I've watched all the other stuff and, and just heart-wrenching to go back and watch those things. But the drive the next morning, less than 24 hours after everything happened, when they had already basically secured Washington, D.C., that's when I was like, this is, this is, this is big. This is our Pearl Harbor is what everybody kept saying, and they've, they've been right. So. Yeah, yeah. I was my second year of the Naval Academy in 2001. I had the one TV in the office. This is before YouTube TV of and course, everything. Yeah. And, I had the the TV in the corner of my office where Scott Strassmeyer, my boss, uh, SID, would come in and camp out, and he came in and rushed in, turned it on, and it was just like, you know, couldn't believe what we were watching. And shortly thereafter, you know, we're evacuated from the academy, trying to get all civilians off because Bancroft Hall and the Mids were pretty much on lockdown as a military institution, and so Humvees were flying around everywhere. I mean, it was just chaos. And you know, my wife, now my wife, we. Um, she was, you know, we went to donate blood. We just hadn't been dating long, but we went to donate blood because we didn't know what else to do at the local blood bank there. And, you know, then just obviously going home the rest of the day, my best friend, um, his dad working in the Pentagon, not knowing or being able to hear from him until, you know, that night. And, you know, then, you know, the next day, like you said, you kind of realized something was not different. So driving, driving back onto the yard that morning, you know, you had to, you know, there were, um, concrete barricades that were staggered so you had to weave your way through them and then there was a uh, m16 on a tripod behind sandbags pointing literally at the vehicles coming in said something is not quite the same anymore and sure enough you know it just clearly was not the same after that bill and you know a day that We'll all, I'll never forget, but also, you know, when we had that net, that game, you know, pretty much obviously all sports was canceled, right? Um, that week, I mean, there was no college football then, you know, went to the next week and, you know, finally, you know, things started firing up and sports have always kind of been something that is a tie that binds, helps us heal, you know, escape things. And, you know, I remember that, that first football game that we had against Boston College, um, you know, that first Saturday that we had, you know, after everything was canceled and, you talk about a packed press box at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. I mean, you had the biggies of the big at a lot of the, you know, the outlets. Dave Kindred from the Sporting News was there. And I remember having a conversation from him with him. And, you know, they wanted to come and, and be there at, with the academies because obviously these kids that are playing at academies, Army, Navy, and Air Force, they're going to serve. Yeah. And it's going to be a different world. Um, you know, when they were going into the service, you know, we, we didn't quite know exactly um, but we knew something was going to be different. So, um, yeah, it was it, those games took on a new meaning after that, you know, and playing for love of country, because as we all know, most of these student athletes, you know, they're going to go on to serve the country for five years. They come really to play for the love of the game. A few of them might have that very select few might have that chance to go pro. Um, it's for the love of the game to get a top notch education, the military training and to go on and serve. So, 
just something that we'll never forget, Bill. And Saturday will be a, a special day with all the, um, you know, all the pageantry that, that we're going to witness. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be uh, exciting to watch. I'm not going to say it's going to be fun because of the memories that come with it, but it's going to be special to just see how they honor all those people, civilians, military, uh, everybody that's been affected by this over the last 20 years. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, step away, Bill. Um, look, everybody enjoy the games this weekend. Clearly the big one in Annapolis, but Army uh, in Western Kentucky at 1130. A big afternoon of football. I know if you're a Service Academy football fan, you're going to lock in for that double header. And Bill, I know you and I are going to be locked in watching the games, doing some texting. Um, you know, just excited for another weekend of college football, Bill. But more than anything, it's just awesome to have you again with me this season. Appreciate all your hard work, your help, your passion passion uh, and being a pros pro my man thank you so much oh no problem it's been fun and uh, week two and again we're probably looking at a two and one weekend right we know we're going to get at least one win from these guys so i think right. uh, i think army we, army will get a win air force will get a win i think we'll, it'll be another two and one weekend but yeah games should be fun and looking forward to talking and recapping all of them next week that's it we'll be back next week yards and stripes your home for service academy football he's bill Rowland. i'm price atkinson until next week we'll talk then Thanks for being with us for this edition of Yards and Stripes Service Academy Football. A reminder to find us on social media through Yards and Stripes and subscribe or follow this podcast wherever you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. And we will catch you next time on Yards and Stripes Service Academy Football.